welcome and thank you for listening to the Elemental podcast. This is episode one and the first in our Elemental Insights series where I'll be discussing all things business, leadership and of course hiring uh, with business leaders and technical experts. And I'm thrilled to welcome my first guest, Mr. David Soule. David is the co-founder and managing partner at School for CEOs, uh, which is a leadership development practice. Uh, they work with individuals who are making the step up to executive level roles and C-suite roles uh, and equip them with the tools that they need to succeed. Probably something that is more important now than ever given the current, uh, the current environment. Now, of course, David is also a much-loved and well-known Scottish sporting hero, uh, being as he is the last man to captain the Scottish rugby side to a Grand Slam, which is uh, a, a wee bit depressing, David, I have to say. Um, I'd imagine that's an accolade that you, you wouldn't mind uh, getting rid of in the not-too-distant future. Well, it was a long time between 1925 and 1984. I'm just kind of hoping that I might see a, another Scottish Grand Slam in my lifetime, but uh, you never know. Yeah, not this year anyway, that's for sure. No. <laughs> Look, uh, 2020 has been a, a strange year, uh, to put it mildly, uh, David. Um, and I'd be interested to get your take on, I guess, the, the, the impact of, of the last six months on, on your business and what you've seen uh, are the, the changes in, in the business landscape over, over the, last, uh, the last few months. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, undoubtedly for probably 90% of organisations, it's been really tough for a number of different reasons. Um, you look at the high streets, you look at casual dining, you look at hospitality, it's you know, really taken its toll on uh, those sectors. And um, even even for businesses, you know, service businesses like, like ours, professional service businesses, we've had to think about how we adapt, how we change, how we modify what we do, because in essence, what we were doing pre-lockdown or pre-crisis was bringing people together, sharing in the experience of senior business leaders to try and help um, aspiring and ambitious young uh, leaders make that transition into the most senior roles in organizations and when you can't bring people together it makes life pretty tough so certain things we can't do um, we're hoping that we will run a program early next month um, where we do bring people together um, other things we've just had to adapt and flex so we've transitioned one of our programs from being a physical program to a virtual program so they still get all the content, but in actual fact, they, they get a much more intense uh, and deep experience on a one-to-one -one basis spread over three sessions. And it's brought a lot of flexibility to what we do and how we do it. So there's been pluses and minuses, but, you know, it's, it, it's disappointing because you know, before the crisis hit and before we went into lockdown, our pipeline of work was very full uh, we had a very sort of positive outlook for the year and um, you know we were looking looking to have a record year but you know clearly it's 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 changed and we've had to adapt and change with it as have many other businesses so it's you know 2020 is not not a year that um, you know I'll look, look back on with a great deal of pleasure or delight but in terms of learning in terms of uh, experience and in terms of adapting I think I think organizations and leaders will have learned an enormous amount about themselves and about how to lead in a crisis. 
Well, see, you don't learn anything when times are good, right? You learn things when, when, when things are tough. Um, and that's certainly been true this year. But I wonder how many of the things that we've, we've flexed and adapted to, because that's the same in my business, it's, it's the same across lots of businesses, as, as you rightly say. How many of these things do you think will be uh, maintained in the longer term? Are there, are there modal shifts and fundamental changes, or are these transient things that we have to do in the meantime? No, I, I think the way of working will, will shift. I think there was pre-lockdown, there was, uh, the, well, there were a lot of discussions in organisations about how do you work flexibly, how, how can you be more inclusive uh, in, in a workspace and perhaps you know, enable uh, more accessibility for disabled people or more, more accessibility for returning women who've just started a family um, and so on. And that debate was, you know, chuntering around in the background. I think what lockdown has shown us is that organisations have been able to adapt. They've been able to continue going in running virtually. And the technology has really supported us in, in doing this, you know, Zoom or Teams or WebEx or, you know, there's a, a plethora of platforms that you can use to maintain contact visually. Uh, and with the quality of broadband uh, and internet speed now, that, that has facilitated that. I think it'd be really interesting if, if we'd had this experience maybe 10 or 15 years ago when those platforms weren't as wise, more widespreadly available or, or indeed the, the broadband speeds were, were slightly slower, whether that might have made it slightly more challenging. But certainly, you know, I, I see lots of organisations thinking about how they're going to adapt and change. I do some work with a, a, an organisation that does a lot of fit-outs of offices. And, you know, when lockdown came, organisations like Twitter and Google and the City of London said, well, actually, we're not going to do these fit-outs uh, because we're not going to need those offices because we can work remotely. What, what they've, say, what they've seen <coughs> is that you know, these sorts of organisations come back to them and said, actually, uh, we, we do want you to do a fit-out, but we, A, we don't want as much floor space as we thought we did want before, and B, we want the configuration in that floor space to be very different. So <clears throat> we don't want offices where people will come, plug in their laptops, sit and send emails or work on spreadsheets, and then go away at the end of the working day. We went offices where we can bring people together for and have collaboration spaces, we can have meetings, we want to bring our clients in, have discussions. So we want that social interaction rather than a kind of clock in, clock out type office where people travel you know, a ridiculous amount of time during the day to get to the office, work and then go home. Um, another organization I work with has just completed its, its sort of survey of remote working. And what they found is that people, generally speaking, want to come into the office around about three days a week. Um, so it's between two and three days a week in terms of working from home versus working in the office. And as I say, I think the technology um, that, that exists nowadays really enables people to do that. So I think, I think we are shift, seeing a fundamental shift in, in ways of working. And I think that you know, when we do eventually emerge from this pandemic, which we will do, uh, the way of working will be very different to what we experienced 12, 15 months ago. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I see clients who have been doing this effectively for the last five years um, and they have managed this process uh, like it's nothing. 
they've just breezed through it. Now that depends what sector you're in. Uh, these are largely tech businesses uh, that, that, that have that way of working anyway. They're, they're tech savvy and they, they understand the, the output cycles from, from the people in their business. But for other businesses, it, it, it has been something that, that they've been very resistant to for a long, long time. And this has kind of forced them out of the comfort zone and into a position where, where they have to pilot it. They have to put this forward and try it. And what they've seen is actually well, there's, there's a wealth of data here that we can we can quantifiably measure what people are doing rather than perhaps uh, uh, having uh, a manager's opinion on what's happening, uh, which may not be so quantifiable or, or valuable. Um, so I think you're right. I think there are things that will change here. Uh, I have a client down in London that are actually conducting a study at the moment. They've got a, an external business into um, to basically gather the data on how many people utilize their office over the next six months. So the instruction to their staff is come in when you want, work from home when you want. Mm -hmm. And for the next six months, they'll basically record that, how many people are actually using it, when are they using it, what rooms are they using, and they'll make their uh, their commercial real estate decision based on the outcome of that, uh, that study. So I think we'll see more and more uh, transformations in, in that way. So I think you're right. Interestingly, though, that has a big impact on, on the leadership in business and the move to, should we call it virtual leadership? Uh, and, and what does that actually mean for an organization? How can companies make sure that they, they have the right people in post to, well, to drive those changes and to make sure that they're successful? Well, I think, I think what we've experienced is you know, the good leaders have done really well in, in, in lockdown and the poor leaders have, to, have done really badly. So it's, it's, been, it's sort of polarized leadership, I think. What, what I've noticed in, in amongst the good leaders is the, the, the effective way that they communicate with a dislocated workforce. Uh, and, you know, as humans, we are social animals. We have been brought up, we've evolved to need some sort of tribal relationship to that need to belong is really strong and and you know a kind of a visceral thing so maintaining that connectivity has been a real challenge i think we've also experienced a huge amount of uncertainty over the last six months or so you know, businesses uh, not sure whether they're going to survive put into huge pressure from a cash and liquidity perspective we've had furloughing schemes we've you know had all sorts of uh, you know challenges you know pivoting adapting and so on and when you have that environment of change i think the leaders who provided some degree of certainty and if communicated really well and, and really dialed up that communication so that they're connecting with their colleagues on a on a daily and a frequent basis and, and reassuring them that you know while times might be tough they've got a really clear pathway which is a you know, a pathway which people can mobilize behind, get engaged behind and, and move behind. Uh, and, you know, that reassurance is really important. So I think what we've seen is um, a requirement to really dial up the communication, the clarity of that communication, the frequency of that communication, the way in which people are doing it, whether it's one-to-many, one-to-one, um, you know, leaders of small teams and so on. Um, and being really clear and maintaining a sense of optimism about this because, you know, um, it, it will pass and it will take time to pass. But, you know, having that degree of optimism uh, and clinging on to that, not in a false way, is, is really important to you know, 
build confidence within an organization and give colleagues the, you know, the reassurance that uh, you know, things will be better at some point in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a real test of, of leadership, of business in general, right? And how things are set up and the trust you have in your people uh, to deliver change. I think it was John Maxwell said something along the lines of, you know, not a, a pessimist will bitch and moan about the weather and uh, the optimist will, uh, will expect it to change and the leader will adjust the sales, right? Uh, and they'll be pragmatic. They'll take the challenge that's there and they'll do what's required to, to get through the challenge. And I think this will be a real... Uh, sink or swim for not just leaders in particular organizations but for organizations in general I think some will will thrive under these conditions and as as we've seen in the past right in in the downturn in 2008 or the dot-com bubble or you know the 2014 oil crash um, the, the cream rises I guess and it's usually through strong leadership that they mm -hmm. they do that I'm interested in, in, in your business just now with um, uh, with School for CEOs. Aside from the the, the transient sort of uh, format changes and delivering things remotely and so on, have the fundamentals of what you're you're teaching changed in any way? Are you has it caused you to think about other things that that perhaps leaders need to be uh, more consciously aware of and, and bring to the fore in, in in difficult circumstances? Does it change the actual content of what you're delivering? Well, we have a saying on our programs: "Never let a good crisis go to waste." Um, so I think it's a you know it's a great opportunity uh, for for a number of different things uh, to to take place. I, I think, firstly, you know, the, you, you touched on the two thousand eight financial crash. There was the dot com bubble bursting in early the early noughties, the, the as you say, the oil price crash. You know, the, these crashes impacted on certain sectors. I think what, what is different about this particular crisis is that it's global. Um, you know, no country has not been affected by uh, COVID-19. And it's a, it's a humanitarian crisis. It's not a business crisis. It's not a, you know, a credit crunch or anything like this. It is fundamentally about human life, first and foremost. And I think that in itself has you know, meant that it, leaders have had to, to really think differently about this. You know, the last crisis of this size and scale that happened in the world was in 1918 with the Spanish flu crisis, um, just after the First World War. And you know, as far as I'm aware, no one surviving that one is around to lead organizations here. So there's no playbook. We're all having to make it up as we go along. And so that is is fundamentally different and and so I think that that is a big requirement of of leaders at the moment you know to be thoughtful and be adaptive and be be creative and this you know I'd come back to the point I made earlier we touched on it optimism being optimistic being really clear and positive about the journey out of this crisis because it, it will pass we will get a vaccine we'll get better treatments and, and we're seeing and hearing stories about that you know at the moment so you know we're not too far away compared to when we went into this in in march so that is really positive um, i think the other thing is you know how what have we learned from this so you, you say you very rarely learn from the things you do well i, th I think there's a real opportunity for leaders and organizations to take stock and think about 
you know, what have we learned from uh, the perspective of our business, how we've adapted and how we've accelerated the pace of change in our organization. I was talking to one organization that we work with, they, they, they were saying around the board table, they've been talking about seven or eight years about the development of a system for ordering. It was in the hospitality business, hospitality industry, ordering. Uh, seven or eight years around the boardroom, they've been talking about this issue. They developed something and made it go live in eight weeks in the crisis. So how do you take that burning platform and urgency for, to drive change in your organization and capture that going forward? I think there's also something about, you know, what have you learned about the people in your organization? What, who in your organizations have really stepped up to the plate and, you know, demonstrated that they can perform in this really uncertain, changing environment? And who sort of um, perhaps you know, might feature on a talent uh, map or a talent profile, but have really gone above and beyond? And who on that talent profile hasn't met your expectations the people you thought and you would have backed to succeed or, or do well perhaps haven't stepped up so what have you learned about your people and your teams um, and that and you know what have you learned about your processes as well uh, and, and I think you know all of this sort of reflection piece is something that, that leaders and organizations need to take stock of as we sort of take breath and, and move into the next stage of returning to some degree of normality. Because I think it'd be an awful shame if we left that behind, you know, uh, because the organizations, as you say, the, that have survived and have been adaptable will thrive through this. But what do they, what do they get? What do they capture? And what do they bring into part of their organizational DNA to make them successful going forward? So I think there's a really great learning opportunity. Uh, and I, really encourage our leaders and, and we're going to do a session on our our program about you know leading through the the covid crisis um and what have they learned and the other the other thing that we touched on earlier is how do you lead a, a physically dislocated workforce through zoom teams whatever it is um and still give them that sense of belonging that sense of feeling that they feel included in the organization and I think that, that's been really interesting because you've been going into people's house, houses and homes literally number of calls I've had with with clients where you've had children climbing up onto mum or dad's knee and having a conversation in the middle of a, a business conversation has been extraordinary you get, David. <laughs> yeah, but, but you get a real sense of you know what it's like for them personally and we've all coped with lockdown well or not so well depending on our personal circumstances as well yeah I, the scope is vast if the changes are going to be persistent over time there's there's practicalities as well there's there's legal issues there's insurance issues there's you know huge hr challenges for well, how do people actually work from home because you know i've heard it said that people aren't working from home they're trying to get some work done at home uh, and, and I think that's that's an, an interesting distinction. I think it's true for a lot of people is, you know, they're trying to make the best of a, a bad situation, but longer term, is it sustainable uh, to work from home? Yeah. Lots of people are very fortunate. You have that space, you have that, uh, that ability. Other people are, are in, you know, more cramped conditions. And like you say, children about childcare issues. And I think there's, there's probably a, maybe tsunami is too strong, but certainly there will be a wave of, uh, well-being issues further down the line and mental health issues and stress-related issues 
that will probably come to the fore sometime next year uh, once people well, once what happens to you once you've been under sustained pressure for a long time is you burn out, uh, and I think that that's yeah, we're we're, we're actually sorry, we're actually we're actually doing a piece of research in conjunction with Harriet Watt University on exactly that subject, really? um, to to see what the impact of uh, you know lockdown has been on, on leadership and and the senior you know most senior leadership in the organisations. We've we've got about seven hundred responses from CEOs, exco members, and exco minus one. Uh, members in a wide range of organizations client organizations that we work with and other organizations which we don't work with and, and some of these domestic questions are the ones that we're really interested in because you know whether you've been homeschooling and um you know dealing with uh you know, children or teenage children and trying to work as you say if two partners are, are working how do you manage that how much stress does that bring and your point about burnout we believe that you know there's organizations and leadership is, a, is at risk of serious burnout because of the stress mm -hmm. so you know we're asking questions around have they taken holidays have they taken time off mm -hmm. during the course of this to recharge their batteries mm -hmm. and, and even if it is a staycation or they're they're, they're sort of just stepping away from work mm -hmm. you know is that helping in their in their mental state and their resilience and their susceptibility to to burnout later on in in, in the year mm -hmm. It, it, it's such a it, it's such a minefield. I mean, the long term effects of of stress are are, are well documented already, and people will be under that, are under that. So uh, I think it's you you touch on there people taking time off. I mean, if you work from home and you're restricted in your movements, what is time off? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I might as well do some work. Uh, I'm at home anyway, right? So it's it's hard yeah. to escape that that feeling, and I think. I think this is this is going to be a big challenge, but not just for the leaders themselves, but they have to be more aware of that within their teams, more conscious of that. And as people are working distantly, it's more difficult to be more conscious of that because what you're seeing is an avatar uh, and you know maybe maybe some some chat and so on, a thumbs up and emojis and things like this. And it becomes more difficult to, to stay on top of that. Sometimes just a facial expression can tell you well, that person's having some difficulties. Maybe I should go and yeah. put my arm around them. So. Um, I'm interested to to know how can you train those instincts in individuals, or is this something that that they have or they don't have? Right, I, I think we we've been doing quite a, a a lot of webinars for client organisations about the the impact of lockdown on mental health and and resilience, particularly, and looking at it from a, a neuroscientific perspective. Um, and, and helping people understand what coping, coping mechanisms they can put in place. I mean, I think, I think the first thing is the point about education. So it's recognizing what are the symptoms of stress and the, the potential issues that you might be encountering from a you know, very physiological basis, because your body is a, you know, a great indicator, and it will tell you if you are coming under signs of stress. So things like um, you know, not sleeping particularly well, grinding your teeth, you know, feeling tired, you know, being more irritable. All of these things are signs that you are under some sort of mental pressure or, or physiological stress. And I think that, that education piece is, is really important. And once you can recognize those signs of stress and challenges that you're facing, there's something about recognizing or, or understanding what coping mechanisms you can put in place so you know, physical exercise physical fitness reaching out 
talking about these sorts of things you know we're, we're not a great nation for sharing how we feel um you know particularly males you know the the, the greatest killer of men's on the age of uh, 45 is suicide tragically and, and and it's an indicator that you know as men we tend not to share how we're feeling uh, and that sort of masks a lot of the physical stress or the mental challenges that we may be may be facing so i think reaching out talking to partners colleagues whatever it is is a really important part of that and then there are other um you know, techniques and tactics that you can do to actually make sure that you are looking after yourself and and maintaining a sound mind and a, a sound body um, and i think that's a it's a really important aspect and to your point you know leaders need to be cognizant of it uh, and set the example you know so that point that you made about well if i'm if i'm at home i might as well work i think it's really important to differentiate when we are working from home work time and indeed workspace if you can do it and downtime and home time and, and not allow the one to merge into the other and it just become a complete mismatch so I think I think leaders have a really important role to play as role models in that. Mm. There's different ways you can go on this, right? Um, you know, if we if we look at uh, uh, clients over in the states and and they take one week holiday a year and they do it with their heads hung in shame uh, and and it's a badge of honour to to you know if you're not working late you're not working hard. Mm. I have other clients in France where it's the polar opposite. They they have legislation that that dictates that the email servers have to be shut down between particular hours of the day and things like this and so that the, the, there has to be some middle ground. I don't favour either of those things and i think britain probably tends more towards the american model of if you're not working late you're not working hard and a little bit of you know presenteeism and, and, and being seen to be working hard uh, which adds stress which adds uh, you know to, to, to mental uh, mental anguish i guess but it strikes me then if it's not going to be uh, everyone has to work all the time and it's not going to be the government legislates when people work and when they don't then then it can only come down to one thing and that's that's culture that's the culture in your team um and how important is it well it's always been important but how, how important now is it that that leaders are are driving in that culture they're identifying not only in their existing team but when they're hiring what are the things they should be looking for in people that they're bringing into their team uh, to ensure that they're uh, they're not going to be well that they're, they're pulling in the right direction yeah i think it's a really interesting question i mean I, <clears throat> the, the shadow you cast as a leader is very long and you know as a ceo you are constantly under scrutiny you know from the moment you walk in well actually the moment you drive into the car park people are going to be noticing what car you drive what where you park your car how you greet people you know whether you say hello to the receptionist as you walk into the into the office you know your mood state if you come in in a bad mood because you got out of bed the wrong way you leak and people pick up on that and so the shadow you cast as a leader is very very long um, and you talked about culture and presenteeism. There was a, a story of this one CEO who took over uh, in the financial services business, and um, he actually had a, a young family. And this was a previously, prior to him taking over, it was a real culture of presenteeism. So, you know, jackets on the back of the chairs at, till half past eight at night and so on and so forth. And, you know, crazy. 
And because he had a young family, he used to make the point of leaving the office five o'clock, 5.15, 5.30 at the absolute latest, um, because he wanted to go home and you know, put his kids in the bath and read them a story and put them, be part of this sort of putting to bed exercise. And um, <clears throat> he, he, from time to time, he'd get back on his computer and perhaps catch up on emails after that. But, but he made a really clear point of leaving at 5.30 at the absolute latest. And what it, what it did was it, it, it gave people permission to do the same. So, you know, we've got this great expression in Scotland, you grow like the folk you bide with, you know, you become like the people you live with. And he noticed that suddenly, or, or people noticed in the office, that the office was empty, certainly by quarter to six, if not six o'clock. And, and what they also noticed was that productivity went up because when people were in the office, they were working hard, they were doing stuff, as opposed to allowing themselves, giving themselves the time to <clears throat> you know, have a cup of coffee and spend <clears throat> perhaps 20 minutes talking with someone rather than five minutes talking with someone because they knew that they would, you know, to be, in order to be seen in the office, they would have to work late. Mm -hmm. And so that culture piece is, is really important. So I think cultural fit, is really important when you're you're building teams and you're putting teams together. Having said that, <clears throat> I think there's also something about diversity. So, you know, the, the the risk one of the risks in recruitment is, you know, you have <clears throat> that potential to go towards affinity bias. In other words, I will hire people who are like who are like me, who are like us, who will fit in with this. And for me, that's a real challenge about how do you bring diversity into your team through the people you're hiring into your team who perhaps aren't going to be a great fit um, because they are different and because they bring something different. And I think there's a, it's a very fine line to tread, you know, because I think you do want them to be uh, you know, aligned with the culture of the organization rather than be rejected by the, the culture of the organization. But at the same time, bringing something different and being able to express themselves, feel valued, feel accepted, feel supported, and really feel included in the organization. <clears throat> and I think if you're going to get an inclusive organization and an inclusive culture, you have to have a high degree of trust and you have to get very comfortable with conflict. Um, because at the end of the day, if you've got diverse people expressing their views, those views are probably going to be you know, different to each other. And therefore, you've got to get comfortable with those conversations in meetings or discussions or in the boardroom. And that's, that's a really fine balance to tread. Yeah, absolutely. You know, diversity is something that I think certainly a lot of my clients have become more and more focused on over over recent years and the challenge they have from a recruitment perspective is uh, is, is attracting those candidates often within the, the candidate pool it's 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 tiny numbers so mm -hmm. if we look at software companies for example you know there's something like 10 percent of software developers and i think that's that's probably a fairly optimistic uh, estimate are, are female uh, so if you put an advert out and we say right well only 10% of people are going to be looking at any given time, 10% of those are going to be the target market you're after, it becomes a challenge then to bring them in. So really the only way to do that is go and physically search for them and, and, and give a proposition. So I think that's something that the that, that companies are seeing more of. But yeah, look, a, a good machine has lots of different parts, right? Uh, and, and we do see 
managers that are guilty of hiring people that are extremely similar to themselves because it makes them feel good that oh, this person must be good. Look at look at the school they went to, look at the company they used to work for, uh, and they pat themselves on the back. This is clearly the best candidate. But I think the importance here, as, as we start to look at, at those things, is probably moving more to quantifying your selection process in some way and having it less on less based on gut feel and more based on strategic vision and what do we need people coming into our team to be able to demonstrate that they can bring. Um, but it's it's a, a big, big challenge. And I think the current crisis has perhaps made it more challenging because a lot of the people that were difficult to hire before are now even more difficult to hire because they're they're reluctant to move. They're, they're, they're yeah. booked by the market conditions. So uh, it's a little counterintuitive, I guess, because you think, well, there's a big downturn, so people will become more available. But actually, the, it's the converse that's true because people are keeping hold of them and, and they're reluctant to move. So um, it makes team building all the more difficult, I think, in, in the current environment. Add to that all the things we've already discussed. It would be, I guess, maybe remiss of me to let you go uh, at the moment, David, before we touch on another topic, I guess, that, that's, that's quite important to, uh, to certainly a lot, of, a lot of my connections, a lot of my network, and, um, and that's, that's career change uh, at the moment. This is something that's, that's quite a salient point, whether by design or desire or, or otherwise, it's something that's happening a lot at the minute. Um, and particularly at senior levels, people coming out of positions of leadership in one industry or one sector would perhaps have worked for 20, 30, 40 years and looking to transition into another area. Uh, you've got quite a diverse background yourself, uh, David, so it, it, it'd be good to get your thoughts on perhaps some of the challenges you've faced in your career making transitions or otherwise, you know, if you've not perceived it to be too much of a challenge. I'd love to get your take on, on, on your experience of yeah. Um, navigating the, the long and winding road. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm a particularly good role model <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, I, when I, uh, you know, I wasn't very focused on my career in my early 20s. Uh, it was only in my late, later 20, my latter 20s that I, I got focused on career. And I had an agricultural background, so I was lucky enough to join United Distillers as a grain buyer um, and, you know, progressed reasonably well through the organisation. Um, ended up running a, a sort of small team, uh, which was great. Um, but I guess in my late thirties, I decided that it, I wanted to, to change and to move. Um, and without really any giving it any sort of deep thought, I left you know a very uh, large organisation that had become Diageo by that stage, very well uh, rewarded, very well looked after, and I decided I wanted to do something completely different. Um, and as I say, I don't think I gave a great deal of thought to it or the, the consequences of failing. Um, but I knew I wanted to have a degree of autonomy. And uh, I found myself in the coaching industry, which really resonated for me. And, and I think when you are looking at sporting performance, you know, coaching is an integral part of that. And you know, when I learned some of the tools and techniques as a as an executive coach and went on various training programs, it it really brought it to life for me, and so it, it felt as though I'd come home, and so I think it, it, the essence of that is, is you know if you are thinking about transition, 
I would really encourage people to think about what they're passionate about and follow their passion. Because if, if they can do that, then they're going to have the energy, they're going to have the enthusiasm, they're going to have the commitments, they're going to have all of those things which are going to make them a success in that chosen vocation. And that might be running a coffee shop, it might be farming, it might be you know, coding, whatever. But, but if they're really passionate about it, then you know, that is what is going to be um, capture their imagination, capture their energy and, and give them you know, greater resilience. Because I think <clears throat> you know, nothing ever goes smoothly in life. And I think you've got to have that resilience and bounce back ability to be able to cope and deal with setbacks. Um, and, and, you know, if you're going to make those changes, it's not going to be an easy road to to hoe all the, all the time. You know, sometimes it's going to be tough and you're going to have those setbacks. But if you are passionate, if you have that enthusiasm, that that resilience, that bounce back ability, that, that ability to sort of pick yourself up when things have gone against you, to, to really pursue that dream, pursue that passion, becomes an awful lot easier. It becomes an awful lot easier. So I guess that would be my kind of one thing, you know, and, and I literally fell into it. Um, I, didn't, I had no idea that an industry existed in the world of executive coaching, but, but when I found it, and, and, and it, it really ignited my passion for, for what I do, how I do it, and, uh, you know, there's not a day goes by where I wish I was doing something else. Fantastic. Fantastic. It, it, it's great advice. I think, I think it's exactly right. It's about understanding your own value and what you enjoy doing. Uh, business is more alike than unalike across the board is what I find. And people can get too bogged down in the nitty gritty of the technical aspects of what they do or what their business's uh, bottom line function is. Uh, but ultimately, all businesses are, are there to do a fairly similar thing is to be profitable and to to grow and succeed so i think yeah it's, it's about not looking so much at what is different about your new career it's about looking at well what are the similarities what are the things i can add and i, th I think that's exactly right if you don't have that mindset then it becomes very difficult um to to go on that that journey but david look quickly before before we go it's been brilliant speaking with you um tell us how anyone can get in touch with you guys if they're interested to learn more about school for ceos if they want to inquire about uh any of your courses sure so um have a look at the website it's www.schoolforceos.com um we do uh we do our own podcasts we do our own webinars so there's lots of thought leadership on there um say so we're going to come out with this uh, research into the, the mental health impact of lockdown so uh, you know that will be um put up on the uh, on the website in mid-september but you know just uh, do get in touch with us and drop us a note and we'd be happy to have a conversation Thanks so much. Links will be in the description below. Do check that out. There is some amazing content on there and things that have been put up free gratis and for nothing that are um, well worth looking at, checking out and, and taking on board. David, thanks so much again for your, your time this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, I'll look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, Graham. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like, comment and share uh, and to be notified of future episodes in the series, you can subscribe to the channel here. Don't forget to check out our blog too. Links are in the description. 
Thanks so much again for listening.